Welcome to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, where we explore the local arts culture in the Lehigh Valley. We'll be doing this through conversations with individual artists, administrators, and organizations. We'll explore all types of mediums with a goal of enriching local culture. Welcome back to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. Today, we have a very special episode recording live with Ward Van Howe at the Bethlehem House Gallery. Ben, would you like to share his bio? I'd love to. Ward Van Hout is a self-taught painter and sculptor. In July of 2014, he opened Bethlehem House Gallery on Main Street in historic downtown Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Van Hout was born in 1978 in Fort Belvoir, Virginia. He grew up in a military family and moved frequently as a child throughout the eastern United States. In 2001, he received his bachelor's in TV-slash-film production from DeSales University in Center Valley, Pennsylvania. For 15 years, he worked as a properties master and art director for stage and screen in Philadelphia and New York. Eight of those years were as resident props master at Villanova University. In his Bethlehem studio, Studio 945, Ward Van Hout works primarily in oils on the reverse of glass. He marries the folk and sacral arts techniques of reverse painting with contemporary style and subjects. Additional media include found object sculpture, urethane casting, kiln-formed glass, and stop-motion animation. Ward currently lives in Upper Bucks County with his wife, Rebecca, and their four children. Hey, Ward. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> and Elise, good on. to see you both. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. We're recording here at the Bethlehem House Gallery, surrounded by your work. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's exciting. Glad it you is. could take it on the road. So excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we love looking at what artists do in person, and we, we always push our artists to bring something with them that we can look at in person. And so recording here surrounded by this is just amazing. Yeah, great. Well, no, I'm happy to do it. Uh, It's it's, a, we're recording on a, on a day that the gallery is closed. So it worked out very nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You might have some uh, main street traffic, you know, (laughs) noise pollution, but you know, it'll all work out great. Yeah. Yeah. Being a weekday relatively early in the day is not a lot of traffic going on out there, but it yeah. is just, you know, being where we are in such a great location at the corner of uh, Market and Main Street, downtown Bethlehem in the historic district. It's just, it's, we've got these big picture windows and it's just fantastic sometimes to just yeah. look yeah. out the window at all the activity on Main Street. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even sometimes when we're done recording, we'll walk around and have dinner or something, and then we're like, let's go look in the window at the house gallery and <laughs> see what's in there and see what's going on. It's but, such oh, yeah. a great Main Street yeah. shopping district, restaurants. Absolutely. I mean, we're really blessed to be here, um, not just on Main Street, but in the Lehigh Valley, which has such a rich arts um, you know, community. And and uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's inspiring and invigorating to be in a small town area like this yeah. that has so much of a dedication to arts and so many wonderful artists working in so many different mediums and disciplines. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So Ward, tell us a little bit about you and how you how you got started. Okay, how far back do we go? Oh, as far back as you like. <laughs> Wherever the art starts. Right. <laughs> so um, I grew up, I grew up in, a, in a large family. I'm the fourth of six children. Um, my mom was a painter by hobby. And I remember as a kid going with her to painting classes and she'd put me on the, you know, on the ground with a sketchbook and crayons and she had my little brother in like a belly pack. And when my mom paints, she sort of sways when she paints because to sort of soothe the baby. So like I have that like rich memory as a kid of um, just and, 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 you know, being there with my mom and the other students in the painting class. So, I mean, it was 
from a very early age, it was part of my life. Um, I come from a, a, a dad who's an engineer and a Marine and a mom who was, uh, you know, she had the hardest job in the world. She raised six kids and um, yeah. still found time to paint. So um, I remember like the oil paints, the smell of the turpentine and the oil paints. And it's just like all these like early sense memories that I'm sure influenced where I arrived today. Um, so those are the really early memories. <laughs> so, and, you know, as a kid, I'm sure you've heard it from most of the artists that you've spoken with. Um, I've been drawing or painting since I could hold a paintbrush or a crayon. You know, <laughs> it's, you know that, that passion, I think, um, comes in early. And the wonderful thing about kids in art is uh, you see, like, they, they, don't, they don't have the same sort of shame and self-doubt that grown-ups mm. have so it's able to be Definitely. like pure <laughs> yeah. yeah so um so then uh, you know throughout my childhood it was how I spent a lot of my time um I wasn't a big video game guy I wasn't a big comic book guy I would play outside or draw or create you know <laughs> um so that eventually took me you know through high school where I was I think I took more art classes than my high school offered by two or three. <laughs> I just started independent studying everything I could do. That's awesome. Yeah, it was it was really and wonderful of them to accommodate yeah, me in that absolutely. in, in public school, you know, to Yeah. So I yeah, sort rare. of filled all my core curriculum stuff and it's just I wanted more art. So 100%. um I had a wonderful art teacher, June Smith Williams, who has passed away and uh yeah, that community lost a you know, a wonderful soul when, when she passed, but um, she touched so many young artists and helped them grow. So um, really a blessing. It's up in Bradford County, which is not, you know, okay. yeah, it's a, it's a rural, <laughs> very rural community. Right. And, uh, uh, so then I went to uh, DeSales University for um, television and film production. Uh, and that is where I, uh, you know, really got, got my creative career launched. Um, I went there thinking I wanted to be a director or a director of photography, and I left there knowing that I wanted to do um, sets and props and, you know, the aesthetics for film. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it was really, really fantastic. I started working in uh, Philadelphia while I was still in school, working on music videos and, and commercials, working my way into the art department as quickly as I could yeah. and up through the ranks. Uh, so... Uh, so film world and then um, my wife and I got married and we knew we wanted to start a family and that freelance life where it was just, you know, paycheck to paycheck. If I worked 10 days a month, it was a good month. You know, just that yeah. lifestyle, you know. Ben. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, <laughs> it was, I get it. <laughs> it, was, it was tricky. We, you know, we wanted to have a family and not knowing where the next paycheck was was uh, something that we knew would be a challenge. Yeah. And my mentor, Steve Pennypacker, he has five kids so I knew it was possible but um but yeah we just we wanted to approach it with a little more stability so I got a job at Villanova University in their theater department uh, they have a, a great MA program there so I was the resident prop master there for seven eight years wow. um ran what a, a cool shop job. it was really cool <laughs> you know I was run, I ran a shop with um 
two graduate assistants every year and then a handful of undergraduate work studies. And it was just really fantastic learning stuff as I went. Yeah. Like the first upholstery job I did, I went to uh, Barnes and Noble and bought a book on upholstery. It was like <laughs> a little before like the accessibility of YouTube. Like YouTube was there, but not everybody was using that as right. their number one <laughs> yeah. educational source. So I bought a book. You know, remember those <laughs> and uh, and learned how to upholster the day that I needed to upholster something. That's awesome. So, so yeah, it was really cool. And, um, yeah, I worked with great people at Villanova, great students that I'm still very much in touch with. And um, I had another great mentor there who's also passed away that's sort of, you know, I guess that's <laughs> when you get to middle ages, it's uh, <laughs> some of your mentors start to go. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so after seven, eight years at Villanova, I knew it was time to to do my own thing. And after making, you know, helping other people create their vision for at that point, like 15 years, both in film and theater, um, it was time to make my own vision happen. So my wife and I yeah. set out to come up with a business plan for Bethlehem House Gallery. We got some help from people very close to us. And here we are now, seven years later, sitting in Bethlehem House Gallery, surrounded by my art and the art of many fantastic local and regional artists. This show in particular is The Glass Show. Uh, I am a glass artist. I know you spoke with Keith Garuba a couple weeks ago. He's yeah. a glass artist. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just, it's, 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 I couldn't be happier. Every, everything came together better than I could have possibly imagined. Yeah. That's awesome. It's very cool to see your vision come to life and such a, we talk a little bit about like the stepping stone idea and kind of how you get from one thing to the other. And that's such a natural progression going from like a prop master to what you do here. That's just very cool. I'm probably yeah. the first person in history to ever go from film production to theater usually goes the other way. <laughs> that is very true. And then, and then from that to uh, visual fine art, yeah. it's, it's sort of a backwards way to go to what, what I ultimately wanted to do anyways. The reason I went to film school is because I wanted a job. And I thought that, you know, working as, a, as an independent visual artist, that that was going to be challenging. <laughs> so um, yeah. I made sure I developed some creative skills that were employable. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, that's that's key to getting jobs as an independent contractor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, this this interview is particularly exciting for me because I went to school for arts administration and it's cool to see that concept of arts administration in practice. And I think a lot of people who fall into that category, definitely start from that like passion for the arts, passion for what they're doing, mm. and then it kind of grows into that administrative role. But you you do both, like you make both work, and that's so, so awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's a juggling act. Um, <laughs> and I've had many wonderful people working with me over the years that help, you know, help balance that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, as a visual artist, I have some of that sort of chaotic mind <laughs> that other visual artists that, that we know and love have. So having that and trying to like keep things organized and scheduled and everything is, is a really big challenge for mm -hmm. me. So having that yeah. support from um, colleagues and uh, family is big. And honestly, anytime that you're trying to achieve something, um, you know, something big and make a, make a fully realize a vision, you really need the support of your loved ones and you need to find a good support group. Definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. I'd love to know how your work in film and theater 
went into opening and designing what would become the Bethlehem House Gallery? Cool. So initially, I guess we got to start off with how I, um, I mean, aside from just being a kid coloring while my mom painted, um, <laughs> how I started in, in, in visual art yeah. um, as an adult. Yeah. And when I was working in film, like I said, I was, I was a bachelor, I was freelancing and, um, you know, I could go a couple of weeks without work. Yeah. So like any young man in their 20s, I found... Um, less constructive activities to do. You know, I <laughs> found myself very comfortable at a bar. Yeah. And, um, you know, after like a year of that being like, all right, I've got to, I need better ways to fill my time. And, um, you know, I took a lot of hikes. I did, um, I started dabbling in photography. And most importantly, I, I started painting. And I had already sort of given myself a lead into that. I worked on a Will Smith music video my senior year of college and uh, I made what I thought was a lot of money. It was really only like a few hundred dollars, but it was a <laughs> lot of money. <laughs> so I went out and bought an easel and some canvases and some paints and just started teaching myself how to paint again, you yeah. know, um, after being a little out of practice since, since high school and growing up. So, uh, so that was like a much more constructive way to fill my time. I had been working at a scenic shop in um, Philadelphia, where we at the time we were doing a lot of um, like plexiglass displays for for mm -hmm. conventions and things, yeah. and uh, we had a ton of plexiglass scraps. So I started painting on the reverse side of the plexiglass scraps that they were throwing away. You know, artists want free materials as much as they can <laughs> get them, especially young artists. So yeah, so I did that, and that just became how I filled my time between you know working on productions. Um, just uh, go paint for a few hours and then go for a hike and everything. So that's how I got <laughs> to, to creating uh, with like a focus. And um, then after years of working in, uh, in, in the aesthetics departments in entertainment, it was um, seemed a natural progression at that point to get my visual art out there and I was actually, I was thinking about going to get my MFA and talking with my wife and her family and my family. Um, we decided that, you know, the best thing to do is just to do it. Go get an MFA later, but let's, let's start with, yeah. with the business. Yeah. So I was still working. We still had a bunch of little kids. I was still working at Villanova doing props. And, um, and my wife started reading, uh, reading about how to, how to run a gallery and, uh, my wife's name is Rebecca, by the way, so we can we can call her Becca or Rebecca in this conversation instead of, you know, <laughs> just and give her a little shout out. Her, yeah. Yes. Um, so while she was researching, she uh, came across in, in one book, one chapter that talked about um, having something that sets you apart from other galleries. Mm -hmm. And we were talking one night after putting the kids to bed. And she's like, it'd be great if we could, with all the work you've done designing sets, designing spaces, and I've designed hundreds of spaces, you know, and mostly home interiors because I was mostly working in commercials. Mm -hmm. And yeah. most of what we did was home interiors. Yeah. Um, she said, it'd be great if we could find a house and that could be the gallery. Downstairs will be the exhibit space and then we'll live upstairs. And I was like, that's a beautiful idea. And, you know, I can... <laughs> decorate, design the space, do what I love doing, and then fold that into, you know, into this new business, set ourselves aside. And that's where the Bethlehem house came from. Yeah. Uh, so we had this dream that we would find, 
you know, this like old Victorian house on a main street somewhere in, in Pennsylvania, New Jersey or Delaware. We don't, we didn't know where, but you know, <laughs> and, um, live and work. Well, the reality of having four small children in a gallery space sort of struck us <laughs> as maybe yeah. irresponsible, maybe impractical. Um, <laughs> so, so that, you know, sort of, um, evolved into what you see now, which was finding ourselves in a space that we could demonstrate and present as a home. Mm -hmm. And my experience doing um, set decorating, set design and props evolved into this space here on Main Street where we have, um, you know, we've got five rooms around a, you know, a lobby vestibule and I get to do all the crazy stuff that the directors and art directors would you know shy away from i get yeah. to do loud colors bold colors um crazy furniture pieces it sort of gave me a lot of freedom but yeah that's that's exactly how it evolved it came out of my working in the art department in entertainment yeah, yeah. it's funny because being a couple just a couple blocks away from our studio I we've been here a lot and i think that something that has come up in our podcast a lot is What's the comp? I, I always like, I want my house to look like that. Or like, I want that furniture. I, <laughs> I want that aesthetic where I live. And I think that it's just such a unique space. And the way that you do it creates that I need it kind of feeling. Wonderful. Like you look at art and you say like, I need it. Maybe something that if it was in a traditional gallery space, you wouldn't look at it that way. But I mm. could say like, oh, I have a chair kind of like that in my house. Um, I need that painting to go with it kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Rebecca doesn't come from an arts background. She was an, an, an early ed educator um, before we had a bunch of children very quickly. I think we had the second one before her maternity leave was up for the first one. So, oh my <laughs> <goodness>. <laughs> so, um, so she didn't, she doesn't have, she doesn't have the art background. She certainly appreciates the arts, but, um, but it wasn't part of her real life experience. Mm -hmm. And when we were talking, she said, you know, I, I enjoy going to galleries with you, but there's a lot of times in those, you know, white wall galleries that I just feel like I don't get it. I feel alienated, mm. and, and she's like, sometimes it's just, I don't know, it's intimidating. Um, so anchoring it in a home. And, you know, philosophically, that's what I personally believe and, Re and Rebecca believes is mm. that art belongs in a home. It's supposed yeah. to be seen. After yeah. years of working in my own studio and just piling the work up and never letting anybody see it because <laughs> I wasn't confident in where I was yet, yeah. you, you finally get to the point where it's like, what? good is this if nobody can see it right. and the home is sort of the most natural place to present art that speaks to you mm -hmm. so i tell customers that come in and they're like you know what do i uh they don't know how to start their collection i was like well it's, just buy something that speaks to you something that you can relate to yeah. don't worry about the painting matching the sofa you know mm -hmm. it'll all come together when when you know, your emotional connection to it lives in the space. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. That's, That's awesome. Cool. <laughs> Using that idea of art and owning art as a form of self-expression, I'd love to talk about, and congratulations for winning 
best dressed in the valley. <laughs> oh, man. And, um, I'm, I'm loving your outfit right now. Uh, thanks. And I'd, uh, I'd love to hear about how fashion and even getting up and getting dressed in the morning goes into your form of self-expression as an artist. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it of course, evolved like so many other things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and sort of on a similar uh, trajectory as, as, as my own visual art. When I first started making art, I was working very much in black and whites and sort of muted colors. And, um, you know, in the 90s in high school, during the grunge era, I was wearing olive drab and <laughs> brown and tan all the time, you know. Um, when I started painting, and particularly when I started working with glass, my color palette got stronger and bolder and louder and my wardrobe sort of went that direction <laughs> as well. And it's sort of, you know, I don't know if any stylist in the world would encourage, uh, you know, a five foot six overweight guy to wear patterns and prints and loud colors <laughs> that would draw attention to like, I'm wearing, you know, like burgundy pants right now <laughs> that draws attention to the fact that I have like a, 27 inch inseam, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and Lehigh Valley style approached me about their, um, men of style issue. I think it was 2019. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I laughed and said, yes. (laughs) And my brothers and my sisters and my parents all got a big kick out of that. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, it was really, uh, I was, very grateful to them for, <laughs> yeah. for um, recognizing that and giving me that platform. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's flattering. So, but yeah, <laughs> I, I wear, I, I express myself through my wardrobe with um, bold colors, loud prints and um, colorful shoes. You know, it's you know, whatever I can do to, I love it. to sort of brighten up my day and other people's day. I yeah. hope it brightens up other people's day. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so, but I've influenced my kids in that department too. So. <laughs> That's awesome. You're gonna have a bunch of little like best dressed of the valley, right? right. Little minions on your hand. <laughs> no, it's really funny. My daughter was, um, I think she was ten when that was happening. So you know, approaching, you know, adolescence. And um, at the end of the uh, the reception for for the the launch of the magazine. Hmm they give us this like big poster sized portrait of yourselves, which is just kind of hysterical. So I brought it home and I gave it to Audrey. <laughs> I was like, this is for you. This is for your bedroom. <laughs> and I got this great photograph of her holding it, which is this like unimpressed <laughs> look on her face. Oh, that's it was awesome. fantastic. <laughs> you got to be able to laugh at yourself, right? <laughs> yeah. We've, we've talked a lot about, um, artists and how what other parts your creativity how that bleeds into the rest of your life and through wardrobe through studio space through what your own home looks like Mm -hmm. um is there other than your own artwork at home is there like a collection of art that you have from a specific artist or is it kind of all over the place i've built a pretty sizable collection of lehigh valley artists now you know they they with as far as i think people come in here and think that my house is like pristinely designed with with (laughs) warm, bright colors on the walls and sort of expertly hung artwork and everything. Um, (laughs) It's, you know, like the carpenter's house is never fully complete, (laughs) you know? Uh, So we have, we've lived in our house for, well, actually we moved in right before the gallery opened. So that was an insane year. Um, But uh, we never fully 
landed, you know, never, never got the, the design of the space the way, you know, the way I would want it. It'll happen mm -hmm. eventually. But again, there's all these kids running around and, well, and you were busy designing this we're space. busy designing this space <laughs> over and over um, and over again. over and over. Yeah. We do it. We do it every three months. Yeah. Um, but yes, I do have a pretty sizable collection of Lehigh Valley artists. Uh, just a couple of my, uh, of the standout ones. I do have an, I, a couple Arturo Cabrera pieces in my home. I've got several, uh, Khalil Alaic pieces in my collection, which I'm, um, you know, just extremely happy to have those <laughs> hanging in my home. I've got one of his sculptures and a bunch of his, um, etchings. Um, I, in the beginning I collected larger pieces and now I'm running out of wall space. So I'm collecting smaller pieces <laughs> and just trying to really go full tilt with the, uh, the salon hang in my house and just yeah. get as much on the walls as I possibly can without it being, you know, overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is, I'm, I've always enjoyed dressing a space, finding interesting furniture. So we do, we've got some nice pieces yeah. in our house. Um, there's of course so much I would like to do, <laughs> <laughs> but time, money, and that's, that's life for get when, in the way. For when your kids are out of the house, right? Yeah, you, can, exactly. you can do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, <laughs> and also like, they're not, real little anymore so they're not destroying things like they did when they were babies <laughs> but like that's another thing to consider is like we're going to spend a lot of money on this couch that they're just going to spit up on or <laughs> smear their peanut butter on or whatever you know so um but yeah the 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 galleries where i get to really explore that and you know take the risks that maybe i wouldn't take at home Maybe I'd have to have a discussion with Becca about what color to paint the walls. I don't have to do that here. <laughs> so you always have a lot of unique furniture in here. Yes. Um, where does it come from? Oh, man, that's a secret. <laughs> Everyone's always trying to get that information from me. Um, some of the pieces in here are artist made. I would like for like 90% of the furniture in here to be artist made. Of course, with the soft furniture, with the upholstered furniture, that's a little more difficult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but now, as a, as a prop master, I had several sources in Philadelphia for furniture. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's all I'll say. I have several <laughs> sources. Love it. And I buy and resell. Yeah. yeah. So, that makes sense. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. I like that secret, the secret of the house gallery. Where yeah. do you get the furniture? It's there are secret. people that can tell you because there are people that have come with me to pick up, <laughs> but they're sworn to secrecy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. It's like the secret of the garment district in New York city. Right. Where do you, where do you get your patterns? Mm -hmm. Somewhere in New York. Yep. Got to keep some of our cards close to my chest. I get it. <laughs> well, I'll, tie into the glass show that's here now because one of my favorite things i love all of the artwork of course but when we came in for the opening my first thought was i love all the rugs on the floor yeah. the overlapping rugs i was like this feels like so homey and so cool i just so well that's not a secret <laughs> i will tell you where the rugs come from because mm -hmm. uh, we have a partnership with them and they've been wonderful um loaning the rugs for us we do our best to sell them for them but yeah. ward's rug gallery and that is just coincidental there's no <laughs> relation uh ward's rug gallery in allentown uh provides us with most of the rugs and floor colorings that we floor coverings that we have in the gallery mm. um so every show i go over there it's actually one of the one of the more challenging parts of, of doing this is going there and flipping through hundreds of rugs 
yeah. top to bottom. It's a workout, <laughs> you yeah. know. But uh, but they've been really gracious uh, in in letting us um, use really whatever they have in their stock, and then we return it at the end of the show if it doesn't sell, and then pick up more rugs. So <laughs> so a big shout out towards Oriental Rug Gallery in Allentown. Yeah. And it was funny when I first uh, approached them. I called and. Um, and said, hi, this is, uh, this is Ward. Well, they answered, they were like, Ward's Rug Gallery. He's like, hi, this is Ward. They are like, yep, you got Ward's. And I was <laughs> like, no, this is, uh, this is Ward Van Hout of Bethlehem House Gallery. Uh, but w- Ward, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, my, my first name is Ward. And he's like, oh, and it was really just a funny, <laughs> funny experience. <laughs> so Gary Ward and Kevin Ward and Pat Ward all uh, run, the, run, the, run the, um, the rug gallery. So, nice. uh, but this was a particularly fun show because we, we got a whole bunch of small oriental rugs and just laid them out overlapping in just a really fun geometric pattern on the floor that mirrors the geometric patterns in the sculptures that surround them, mm-hmm. which relate very nicely to the two-dimensional works on the walls. And yeah, yeah I, I was really pleased with that composition. That's awesome. I like that a lot. <laughs> I like rugs a lot, so I was really excited right. when we came in. Have you been to Ward's Rug but Gallery? I haven't, oh, but now it's a I treat. have to. You have to go. You have to go. And they're so nice. So that's all in the kind of lobby vestibule area of the house gallery. Do we want to do kind of like a verbal walkthrough of the rest of the show? Well, sure. All right. So as you walk in, uh, you know, we've got double doors, oak on the outside, glass on the inside. So we keep those open and, and as inviting as possible, weather dependent, of course. But um, as you walk in, the first thing you see is a Khalil Alek steel and glass piece. And Khalil, Khalil and I are good friends, and it was funny. A couple, um, couple shows ago at the opening, he was like, why am I not in your glass show? He's <laughs> like, Khalil, you, you, like, you work in every material, but like, I think of you as steel or, or stone or... You know, he's like, well, I can work in glass. It's like, I know, brother, you can work in anything. <laughs> um, I said, all right, make me a sculpture and it'll be in the show. So, of course, five weeks later, he's got this fantastic piece that's steel and glass. And it, I think it's one of the finest pieces he's ever made. And I'm an enormous fan wow. of his work. So, yeah. uh, so you have that piece right away. And then another piece of Khalil's that's also steel and glass. Um, it's sort of like a tall steel pillar with a column in the middle of, of um, colored glass. And then to the left of that is a sculpture that combines steel and fused glass by uh, Dr. Lee Riley, who is an oncology doctor with St. Luke's Health Network. Um, so it's just really awesome to see, you know, somebody that's got that medical scientific mind, but then also in equal yeah. parts that yeah. creative <laughs> yeah. art mind. So um, he's a fascinating person. And then you'll see a couple pieces on the wall by um, an artist that I personally enjoy his work. (laughs) (laughs) That wouldn't end up being yourself. (laughs) Some guy named Ward, right? Yeah, I know a guy, so I get get into these shows at the Bethlehem House Gallery. (laughs) Um, So this is a new series, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, So it's interesting, the flow of the gallery... Often people go right. I don't know why, but people tend to go right. And that would take them into this room that we're sitting in mm-hmm. now, which is sort of a combination of a living room or a den with a, a music studio. So we have wonderful uh, 
uh, guitar stands that were created by uh, Matthew Caleri uh, of Steel City Vintage. And, um, and then my work again in this room, a um, couple chairs paint, hand painted by uh, Jeff Schaller, who's a wonderful artist down in um, Chester County, might be Montgomery. Um, so yeah, just very warm, bright, summery room. And then as you pass through my room, you're going to go into what we call the Septagon Room because there are seven walls and there are currently, um, you know, grayscale uh, stripes on two of the walls and then deep purple on the other walls. And in that room, we have a lot of the glass vessels that were created by Brian Tosland and Dennis Gardner and Jeff Waterhouse and then some fused glass by Rhonda Snort and... Um, and uh, Roy Groover, who uh, was actually my fused glass teacher at the mm. Banana Factory when I took took my first glass fusing <laughs> That's class. That's awesome. Yeah, um, he's not the first of my former teachers that I've shown in the gallery, which is also <laughs> kind of cool. Uh, and then you go back into another living room space uh, that has this really awesome barbershop furniture, vintage mm -hmm. barbershop waiting room furniture. Uh, with like this checkered pattern, it's really great. And then mosaic work by Kim Hogan, and her work is really just fantastic. The level of detail she gets out of yeah. broken shards of glass is just yeah. unbelievable. I love her stuff. Yeah, We actually got to talk with her a little bit when we came into the opening. Well, I was kind of embarrassed because we were standing there talking about her work and then she was standing behind us. She goes, <laughs> oh, hi, I'm Kim. That's my stuff. <laughs> I was like, oh no, what did I say? And she's just the sweetest but person yeah, in the world. Yeah, yeah, very, very sweet. And her work is very cool. I, I love the detail. You can yeah. stare at them for hours mm -hmm. and just find these little vignettes which, within the piece yeah. that, that are just captivating. Yeah. And you recently found a piece that's on display here on the billboard. I found her billboard. Oh, yes. wonderful. I live over, uh, well, I don't know if I'm supposed to say where it is. She, she said that I was, if people find True. it, they should reach out to her. Well, so. don't give up the secrets. <laughs> you'll have to look. It is, uh, her owl, owl mosaic. So you'll have to keep an eye out for yes. it in the Lehigh Valley, but yes, which is currently in the, in the gallery, the owl yes. mosaic. It's yep. a triptych. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, you can find that billboard in the Lehigh Valley or surrounding areas. That's, that's the hint that you get. That's as specific as we can get. And then as you pass, so there's also some stained glass uh, by Matthew Caleri and, um, and more vessels by all the artists that do vessels that mm -hmm. I listed before. Danny Polk is an additional one. And then uh, as you go, as you pass through that living room space, you come to the back room. Uh, it's like back center in the gallery, and that is uh, set up as a very modern office right now. Um, I believe I have teal and black walls in there with um, steel furniture made by Scott Feathers, who's a local furniture designer. He does custom work in steel and aluminum. And uh, on the walls there are more pieces by Roy and Rhonda, uh, glass fusers, and then Keith Garuba's drip series mm -hmm. um is hanging in that room and uh and danny polk glass sculptures in, in in the corner um throughout the space you're also going to see um silk flower arrangements that were created by the assistant director of the gallery rachel bell who also has a studio in the banana factory and is a fantastic painter as well as floral artist mm -hmm. um and then from there you come into as you as you round back to the front end of the gallery you'll come to the room where when you had come in, you had gone left. It's our great room. Mm -hmm. And um, 
we usually have a living spa- uh, living room space and a dining room space in that area. It's the highest ceilings that we have in the space. We have a fireplace in there that is movable because I'm a <laughs> props guy and everything needs to be, you know, multifunctional. So um, it was actually designed in, in the studio that I used to work in, the, oh, the scenic awesome. shop that I used to work in in Philly. Nice. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's made out of plywood and foam. So it's movable. <laughs> I think the first time I was in here, and it must have been Rachel that I spoke to um, a few years ago, and she asked if I'd been in here before, and I said no. So she kind of gave me the walkthrough, mm-hmm. and uh, she said, do you want to know a secret? And I said, sure. <laughs> and she goes, the fireplace isn't real. <laughs> she goes, every time you come in here, it'll be in a different spot. And ever since then, I, I like, that's the first thing I tell people. I'm like, they have the coolest, like, fireplace in there, and it's fake, and you'd never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's additional... Uh, Actually, that room has probably the majority of the artists in the show Hmm. in that one room. So Mm -hmm. Keith Garuba has additional work in there, and Kim, and Roy, and Rhonda, and Brian. And then there's these really fantastic glass sculptures by Dan Getz, Hmm. um, who is both a a glass blower and a flame, and he flame works glass too. Um, So uh, there, there are these seedlings, these they've got roots and these very abstract seeds and then the the plant growing out of the top and they're sort of floating in space and they're mm-hmm. they're really yeah delightful pieces um and then uh in and around that we have furniture that was designed by Shweta Jajodia who's a, a interior designer designs furniture has it made by other artisans but so that's pretty much the space it's it's warm bright colors um you think glass show and you think the fragility of it all, but yeah. really, you, I mean, you guys tell me if I'm wrong, it doesn't seem that fragile, this show. It's pretty sturdy. Yeah, sturdy actually Definitely. was the word I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people have come in, like, I've seen them come to the door with their kids and then, you know, sort of back off and I'll go over and be like, nuts. bring them in, <laughs> let them experience it. And um, they're like, well, we're really nervous with the glasses. It's mm-hmm. not, it's all pretty stable and secure and don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think when people think glass art, and we talked about this with Keith's work too, because his is very different from like traditional. um, But with that show blown away on Netflix now and things like, um, like Dale Chihuly, his glass Mm -hmm. art, it is very fragile and you see that kind of fragility and uh, how you have to be very careful with everything and how delicately it's put together. But um, I think I even referenced when we said we were going to come over here about how I really enjoyed the Chihuly Glass Museum, so I'm excited to see a glass show in the Valley. And it was polar opposite of what I had thought, right, but right? I really, really enjoy it. Yeah. And it's just such yeah. a cool integration of so many different kinds of, of glass art, too. So, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that was one of my goals. And the really interesting thing about this glass show was that, and maybe Keith mentioned this, I'm not sure. This was supposed to be um, spring of 2020. Hmm. So it was postponed Mm -hmm. due to this global pandemic that we've all (laughs) been dealing with, although it looks like there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, it does. Um, Many of the glass artists lost access to their studios Mm -hmm. during the pandemic for months and months. I have my own space, so I was able to work. Um, But particularly the glass blowers, um, they worked at the Banana Factory, Goggle Works, other glass shops around. They shut down 
for yeah. like six to nine months, they had no access to their studios. Wow. So instead of postponing it for a few months, I had to postpone it for a year to give those artists time to complete their, their mm -hmm. works. Yeah. And I think a lot of that opened up sort of the creative spirit and the artist gave them lots of time, first of all, to conceptualize right. the works. <laughs> um, also time to rethink it and, and come at it from a different point. This is a very different series than I was planning on showing myself, sure. yeah. um, my own work in this show. These are, these pieces were all created during the pandemic. Wow. So, um, and I know that's the same for many of the artists in this exhibit. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, that's definitely been a theme is just people are coming up with stuff that because they had extra time or just stuff that they never would have really, really put together, but it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is, so is this series, since we're sitting in front of it, might as well talk about it. <laughs> um, this series is not like your traditional work, correct? It is not. Although this might be a direction that I continue going for a little while because I've really very much enjoyed it. These are much more abstract than I, than what I typically do. Um, they're still representational because there are of course, um, you know, there's portraiture in it. Um, but it's less grounded in reality than what mm. I typically paint. So I've done a lot of um, uh, industrial landscapes. I've done a lot of flowers. Mm -hmm. Flowers sell. <laughs> so, I know that's not why we should create the art that we create. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll say like, I'll do one series for me and one series for them. Yeah. yeah. You know, we Just do still have to pay that. the bills, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, like nobody paints the same flower. Nobody paints a flower the same way. Definitely. So I had a very successful poppy series, um, and it was all done in reverse on glass with palette knife. So, which is sort of, um, I mean, usually when you think palette knife, you think like heavy texture. Mm -hmm. yeah. I did that on the back of glass, which smooths the texture yeah. down to, to almost nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. But it was a really interesting way to make the mark. Mm -hmm. Definitely. On, on the on the uh, support. Um, so yeah, this this series is I, I don't want to say it's a departure from what I usually do. It's certainly an evolution, and a lot of my really early work was very illustrative, and there's certainly an illustrative feeling to this series. And um, you know, a lot of times when I start a new series, it's it's really to overcome that sort of writer's block that. Mm. artists get, mm -hmm. you know, artists of all mediums get. Oh, yeah. And um, I was early pandemic in a state of writer's block, you know, like you said, a lot more time on our hands. Yeah. But um, sort of a, a lot of things going on in the world that are distracting. So I was sort of stuck in a, in a space and um, you know, you sort of go back to your roots and, and contour, Drawing is something that all artists have done at some point. Definitely. You know, it's part of your art education. Um, so, so these started as contour drawings and, you know, grew into these continuous line paintings with um, filled in with color fields and uh, to help fully realize the, the images. Yeah. As you mentioned, you've listened to a couple of our episodes and we like to do audio descriptions since this is an auditory program. Uh, so I'd love to read the description for one of your pieces, if that's okay. I'd love to hear and it. This is one of my favorite parts of your podcast, <laughs> by the you. way. <laughs> um, usually, actually, I'll read it to the artist before we start, but I didn't today 
because I'd like you to contest it um, ah. if there's anything that you disagree with. Because I think um, I'll preface with this is the series that we're speaking of um, are these gorgeous, very colorful, like continuous line portraits. And they are very, there's an abstract part to it, but there's also a very distinct, like it's a face kind of thing. Mm. Um, so I'll read this and then we can discuss. <laughs> um, so this is for the piece that you have right up front, Electric and Eclectic, done in 2021 by Ward Van Hout. And the medium is oils on reverse of fused glass panel mounted on board. The background of this piece is a square board painted magenta with a black circle in the center. Mounted over top of the circle is an amorphous shaped piece of fused glass. The glass is reverse painted in a variety of shapes and colors. Wrapped around and through the shapes and in different colors is a continuous line drawing of a figure with short hair parted to the side, blue eyes with defined eyebrows, a small rounded nose, and red lips. The single line used to draw the hair wraps through the portrait to create the outline of the figure's facial features. The continuous line used to shape and outline the figure's faces trails off the glass and into the black circle and background, running to the edge on the middle right and bottom left of the piece. I think you nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's really, and we're we're not in the same room as that piece right now, so right, I can't right. see. I, I couldn't watch, <laughs> look at it while you were while you were speaking. So, um, it's really amazing to to sort of hear that description of something that's so. I mean, like it requires seeing <laughs> to understand but you right, do a yeah. fantastic right. job Thank you. <laughs> of, of describing these and i'm very familiar with the works that you've described in other episodes and it's it's really it's it's fascinating that you're even able to do that but um, <laughs> i imagine that uh, the listeners if they close their eyes they can probably come pretty close to imagining what this yeah. piece is yeah. um so thank you for that the black behind the amorphous glass shape mm -hmm. is um that, that's sort of the void, mm -hmm. you know? And these pieces, I mean, they are two-dimensional pieces, but there's dimension, there's three dimensions to them because the, uh, the glass panels are suspended in front of the void mm -hmm. by about three quarters of an inch. Um, and in, in exploring these pieces, I, I wanted to, you know, sort of exploring, our, you know, humanity, I'm doing all these portraits and, sort of finding the common link and the, and the continuity from individual to individual. And I think that speaks a lot to our own humanity mm -hmm. and sort of thinking about what that continuity is. And that's going to be different for everybody. For everybody that views the piece, it's going to be different. For me, it's a shared creator and there's a spirituality to it. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then that, that void and that separation from the void sort of speaks to our individuality and, um, you know, maybe the breakdown of structure, but then it goes right back to the color and that line continues through it. Mm -hmm. So those are sort of the ideas that I was exploring with this and then just fluidity, mm -hmm. trying, to, trying to let that line move through the piece, through the faces, through the features as effortlessly as I could. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one, the one thing I didn't fit into the description but can say now uh, the line, the continuous line that's used to create the portrait, um, once it comes off the background and kind of hits into that black circle on all of these pieces, um, not just the one I described, but it's a different color. Yeah. And I really like that. That's such a, it almost takes me a minute to look at it and figure out where the line connects to the, 
amorphous glass piece that mm -hmm. is lifted up, lifted up a little bit off the board, but just super well done. I really, really Thank enjoyed you. this series. Now, the other fun thing about it is, um, all of the, um, color fields of the boards, mm -hmm. you know, the surrounding color around the black void. Um, those are all leftover paint from previous gallery shows. Mm, wow. <laughs> so, so each of these also reminds me of a room that I've decorated. Yeah. <laughs> but that might, that might be just, you know, for me yeah. <laughs> and not yeah. for them. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I can remember every single room that, that these colors have oh, that's highlighted. Awesome. That's very cool. So the other part of your work that has made it, I think, a little bit interactive is the social media component. Yeah. Um, and I'd been in preparation for the episode looking through your Instagram, and I love watching the little videos that you do of how the reverse glass painting is done, and you do the face first, and then you paint the background over top, because in my mind that I have to think about it quite a bit for it to make sense. But then when I see your videos, it's like, oh, nice. Like, <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> that's probably a good time to talk about. Uh, and thank you for that. A uh, good time to talk about reverse painting. Yeah, because that's um, yeah. that's my preferred medium support uh, combination. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a reverse painter on glass. And, uh, you know, it, if, if people don't know what that is, uh, it's essentially you've got the front of the glass and then you have the reverse of that. I paint on, on the backside of the paint. So everything that I'm doing is not only reverse in that it's mirror image of like the, the viewer is going to see the mirror image of what I'm painting, mm -hmm. but I also have to work from foreground to background. Whereas when you're painting the normal way, uh, <laughs> you paint from back to front. So, right. um, so that's what I do. I, I, I paint in reverse. It is a, not a new, technique in fact mm -hmm. it's it was folk art sacral art in um in uh, eastern europe where uh, religious icons were painted on glass uh, so i've taken that medium i've been doing this for 15 20 years now painting on glass and um yeah i don't know it's just uh it does something with the way the light reacts to the panel mm -hmm. uh, there's no the light doesn't get saturated bouncing you know back and forth between you know, the, if it's something's framed behind glass, right. you get a little bit of um, a little bit of the glare, a little bit of the glare yeah. refraction. There's certainly, glare on these, especially in this room with these black, you know, big mm. big windows. But that glare is on the front; it's not reacting beneath the glass. And um, it's just something about the color uh, saturation, and it kind of takes whatever ambient light hits it and throws it right back at you with sort of an intensity. Now yeah. I've got these lit professionally, so they're right. going to throw a lot of light anyways. <laughs> but yeah. if you hang them in a well-lit room, they're going to throw that light right back at you. Um, so yeah, that's what, that's what I've been doing since, I mean, since shortly after I started painting is reverse painting on glass. Now I'm at the point where I'm, I used to paint on old, you know, trash picked windows and <laughs> um, plexiglass panels that I, <laughs> Uh, took out of the dumpster, the scenic shop I worked in. Now I'm making my own glass panels in a kiln. So, and that's where we get these biomorphic shapes. Mm. That's awesome. Biomorphic. Yeah. You, you brought up lighting and how that affects the paintings. All the artists that we've had from the house gallery have talked about the joys of seeing their work properly mm -hmm. lit. 
And I'd love to hear about the challenges that you faced when working in this setting with glass. Yeah, sure. Because glass is highly reflective. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we designed and um, with um, Gerald Forsyth, who's a theatrical lighting designer in Philadelphia and a colleague of mine at Villanova. Um, he designed this um, theatrical grid system in the gallery, and we use um, Source 4 minis, which are lights that uh, project, and they also um, have shutters, so we can close in on each individual piece, and pretty much every piece of art in here gets a special, you know. Um, and the way that it's designed, I can hang a light literally any square inch of this space. Wow. So that helped a lot with the glass show because we can hit yeah. any mm -hmm. angle. And um, I mean, of course, the natural light from outside is more difficult to control. Mm -hmm. Of course. But in the gallery with Jerry's expert, he comes up for every show. After we hang, he, he uh, comes up and lights oh, the nice. show for us. So it's something I can do, but I can't do it as well as him. <laughs> and um, I mean, he's got 30 plus years of lighting design experience. Right, so, yeah. <laughs> um, so only the best for my artists. Right. Um, so yeah, it was a challenge and, and it was, you know, Jerry and I've worked together for a long time. So, you know, every once in a while we come in and, um, might not have the same idea of mm. what, what should happen And that Khalil sculpture out there is, um, nine feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> in our vaulted lobby space. Yeah. And I placed all the sculptures where I wanted them. And, you know, Jerry came in and we had our meeting, our walkthrough. And he said, okay, these might need to move <laughs> so that I can, you know, really access them and light them. I said, nope, they're where they're going, Jerry. We got to figure a way out. <laughs> so so um, always a good sport. Jerry worked it out. You know, yeah. he, he did it. So that was really challenging lighting. Uh, I, I, I want to say that our lighting pipe in that area is a little less than nine feet and the piece is taller than it. So he <laughs> needed to, he needed to work some magic and he did. Yeah. Uh, so it's certainly a challenge with, with, with the lights, but you know, if you work the angles, you can make it so that the, um, that the light's not one blinding yeah. the viewer mm -hmm. yeah. or casting you know, crazy, uh, hot spots or, um, and then the other thing that we've just, uh, that we've embraced is that there's more than one place to stand and look at a painting. So that if in one is. place there's a glare, the viewer can move a foot or two to the right <laughs> and true. it's going to be a different experience. And honestly, you should move around yeah. a yes. piece when you're looking at it. Definitely. So, um, so yeah, that, that, you know, it's a challenge, but it's not, it wasn't an insurmountable challenge. And the other really cool thing is, the shadows that these pieces cast, you know, the sculptural pieces yeah. and, and the reflections with the pieces on the walls, they cast really cool reflections on the floor and on the furniture and on the walls. Mm -hmm. And it's something that, you know, um, I don't know that we planned that. Of course, when we started lighting, it became apparent. <laughs> but like yeah. in the beginning, I, I hadn't thought of, of all the extra really cool shapes that the the lights and the shadows would make in this show in particular. So, Definitely. Uh, so that was sort of a delightful discovery. Yeah. I actually, I noticed that when we were in here for the opening, because there was a show I worked on in college that um, there was like these fiber sculptural pieces. And after doing the lighting, the shadows were really evident. And that's something now that I really enjoy looking for in shows is 
what's like I, I, in my brain, I've never said this out loud, but <laughs> I always call it like the secondary show. Like what's, mm -hmm. what is the art just by being in this space? What's like another experience that it's creating. And with the glass, that was what I was thinking about when we walked in, I was like the rugs and like the shadow on the rugs from the lights and the, oh my gosh, just so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I know where those sh shadows fall are intentional mm. on Jerry's part, but it yeah. is something that I did not I didn't anticipate and it's really cool walking in. He, oftentimes he'll work on a weekend when nobody's here yeah. and I'll come in Monday and it's just like, wow, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's better so cool. than I expected. Yeah. 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 So again, having that support group, mm -hmm. people that you know, creative minds that you can collaborate with mm -hmm. and that, that support your decisions that don't, you know, he, he could have said, no, we can't light this one <laughs> that way. It's got to move. Yeah, you know, and in the creative process, in film and in theater, you do sometimes run into those situations mm -hmm. where a director yeah. will say, "This is how I want it." Yeah, and you know, as a as somebody that worked for directors as prop master, sometimes I had to say, "No, we can't. We can't do it. It's either budget restrictive, or we don't have enough time, yeah. or it's just not physically possible." <laughs> so, I had one director once ask me, he's like, there was a scene where there was on stage, a scene where they're throwing a chair. Mm. And he's like, will this chair break if we throw it? So yeah, if you throw it enough times, it's gonna break. <laughs> what, can we do anything to prevent it from breaking? No, <laughs> but I can fix it after you break it. <laughs> so I think I repaired that chair 10 times, you know, <laughs> during the course of the show. But no, I can't, like, I can't change, change the laws of physics. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but I can do my best to make it keep working for us, yeah, you know? Definitely. So, and that's all part of the creative process. I think a, a collaborative creative process is yeah. um, fine. And you know, like you never say no, 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 like hard. No, <laughs> they no, but no, but no, we can't do it that way, yeah. but we can do it this way. We can yeah. try this. We can see what we can do. You know, you always yeah. have to come with a solution. Right. Yeah. That's kind like, of the opposite of the rules of improv. Instead of yes and, it's no but. Yeah. 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 I was yeah, going to say, exactly. that's like the, the visual curatorial alternative. <laughs> yes and, it's no but. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when I was starting off in film, um, you know, as a PA, yeah. having uh, people tell me, like, you know, uh, people that have been in the industry for a while, be like, the answer is always yes. <laughs> Even when it's no, it's yes. You're going to find a way. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a, a school rule. It was like working with artists. Just say yes and then work it out later. Right, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, as yeah. part of that creative team, sometimes the answer does have to be no, but, mm. but it can't be a hard no. It <laughs> yeah. needs to be one that, that there's a solution that you're working towards. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do we have another audio description for this series? I'll do the audio description for the piece that's in the room that we're in, <laughs> if that's all I right. I won't look at it. <laughs> And close your eyes close if you like eyes. from the perspective of a listener. Although I um, do know the piece pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> so I will preface this by saying it, um, these are part of the same series. So in similar style, but um, not, not the same piece. So this piece is titled composed cohorts done in 2021 by Ward Van Hout. The medium is oils on reverse of fused glass panel mounted on board and it is 25 inches by 31 inches. 
The background of this piece is a rectangular board painted light blue with a black oval in the center that commands a large part of the space. Mounted over top of the oval is an amorphous shaped piece of fused glass. The glass is reverse painted with a colorful patchwork of blues, reds, oranges, greens, and yellows. The diversity of the shapes painted on the glass emphasizes the facial features of the continuous line drawn faces of two figures in the general center of the piece. Other than the color of their red lips and blue-green eyes, the two figures are free from any notion of traditional portraiture. The continuous line used to shape and outline the figures' faces trails off the glass and into the black oval and light blue background surrounding it. You can open your eyes now. Yeah. <laughs> I did really close my eyes for that. Um, that. That blue is one of my favorite interior house colors. Mm. It's called Calypso which is just such a wonderful name <laughs> for a color, Calypso. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was actually the first one. That was the first one in this series. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a beautiful description of, um, of a piece that I didn't know where I was going with this series at all when mm -hmm. I started it. This was the just playing around piece. And... Um, you know, I had finished many of the panels and didn't know how to present them. You know, and that's when you're working in sort of amorphous shapes, that's that's the real challenge. How do we how do we hang this on the wall? Yeah. How do we present this and display it? So then that took us to the board. And that took me to the elliptical shape, which I had to remember math to draw an ellipse, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's not my favorite part of being a visual artist, <laughs> having to remember what? math. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so those two faces, they just, they grew out of, they're gestural, you know. It was just, let my hand go where my hand is going to go. And that's, mm. where, that's where the image is. And they were the launching point for all of the other pieces that we're surrounded by right now. Wow. The one thing with both of the descriptions and in looking at the pieces that I tried to avoid was assigning um, gender or like masculine or feminine mm -hmm. or young or old to each of these. But when we were talking about the first piece, you mentioned like a deep spirituality to each piece. And is are there people in mind that you thought of when you were creating these or they're, they are very amorphous? Yeah. And yeah, I'd say there aren't specific people with most of them sometimes you know just you know sense memory and life after the image is done it'll trigger mm. some past experience yeah. you know somebody that I know with this series they weren't they certainly did not start off as specific people mm -hmm. um, past work that I've done certainly grounded in the people that are in my life right, uh, particularly right. Rebecca like she she creeped into many, many, many of my paintings over the years. <laughs> but that's what muses do, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> I get that. That's what muses do. <laughs> so, um, so no, not specific people, but again, just sort of like like humanity, our brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they are pretty genderless, I think. Some of them, some of them, I mean, there's one with a guy with a beard, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Take that as you will. <laughs> Take that as you will, but... Um, but yeah, most of them are, and you know, some of them in the titles, I think I assign gender, but, hmm. um, but not with any sort of intention. 
Sure. Yeah. It's just or however. Even definitiveness, maybe. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Open. yeah. Yeah. I love the the openness to interpretation with these pieces. Right. Just, yeah. You can stare at it for a long time and think about who it might be or what they might look like. Or since some of them don't even have the fully fully formed face, I like to look at them and kind of like piece together the rest of the yeah, face when I look at it. What's missing? The negative space. Yeah. 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 So. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was really a fun series to work on and I do think I will be continuing this series. Sometimes I have a very firm finish to a series like, all right, after this piece is done, yeah. I'm moving on. Yeah. <laughs> but this, this series is pretty open-ended and, you know, I don't know that the next, you know, the next round of it will be exactly the same, but it mm -hmm. will, it will evolve from, from this. I think, um, I've had a lot of fantastic feedback on this work. I've sold several of them. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. It's <laughs> yeah. always nice. You know, it's not necessary, but it's nice. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I will enjoy continuing uh, exploring these lines mm. and how they create forms. Yeah. A, a few episodes ago, I brought up a few similarities in my mind to some traditional pop art. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear from your perspective whether that is accurate, whether that is completely misconstrued. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about after we came to the opening of the glass show. Okay. Um, we were talking about a, a number of the pieces. And um, I said that the bright colors and the repeated theme of the continuous line and the more abstract figures reminded me of some famous pop art pieces. Okay, um, great. And especially the way that they're presented, um, like series of fours, series of twos, multiples yeah, great so yeah i'm sorry i missed that episode oh, <laughs> i'm definitely go gonna go back and it. listen <laughs> and look for it but um no nah, yeah, yeah you can accurately compare this to pop art it's not re relating to specific popular culture yeah. aspects mm -hmm. but definitely the color palette and the sort of compositional sensibilities are very much in that pop art world. Yeah. Right. So, um, I mean, just the use of circles. It's definitely, <laughs> I mean, I look over at this Jeff Schaller piece. Jeff Schaller is a fantastic pop artist. Yeah. And you've got the circles and the color. I mean, they, they live very much in the same world, uh, without, without the, the sort of pop art icons, yeah. you know? Yeah, definitely. And I think iconography is really important in pop art. Definitely. Uh, and I could certainly push this to a point where these were iconic images. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's accurate. So it's certainly in the color palette. Yeah. Yeah, that was that and the, the series and presentation yes. reminded yeah. me a lot of. Yeah, now my brain works very much in series. Okay. Like I, when I'm creating, um, I, will, I will focus on one, one series all yeah. the way through and not mix in other stuff because mm -hmm. it. Um, Fascinating. It, it's distracting yeah, and, and it's difficult for me to shift. I mean, I'm already designing spaces and painting at the same time. If I add multiple series at the same time, I think that chaos will just yeah. erupt into something that nobody wants to see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, that's understandable. Uh, but yeah, I very much work in series and I do imagine pieces hanging together mm -hmm. as I'm creating them. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's the designer in me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the uh, three panels on the wall behind you you two with the um the piece um at least just described uh those when i painted them i saw them 
hanging in that exact mm. <laughs> that's cool. composition. Yeah. So, oh, that's definitely the designer, the designer yeah, part. Yeah. I think that's a lot of foresight. <laughs> yeah. I like so. it. And that's it's, it's cool having the opportunity to hang in this space too, because if you saw it in your mind that way, it's awesome that we as the viewers can see it in the yeah. same way that mm -hmm. you intended it to be presented. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I guess it's that whole philosophy of art in the home. I do think of that while I'm, yeah. while I'm working, how it, how it fits in a space, mm -hmm. you know, how it will, how it, how it, how it's presented to, to the audience is, is a very important part of my art making. Mm -hmm. I don't know if traditionally artists care about that at all. In fact, I've experienced many artists that don't seem to put any <laughs> thought whatsoever into how their work will hang. Uh, but you know, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's come up in differing perspectives. I think with some of the artists we've talked to is do you create and then figure out what to do with it? Or do you have the viewer or the buyer or whomever in mind while you're creating? And I know you, you said like, Oh, it's great to sell work, but it, it's not the point. Yeah. But I, I think even just think having the foresight thinking of what it might look like in the space is your that transition of your art to be seen kind of thing. You were talking about how your art was sitting stacked in the studio and now mm -hmm. you've reached this point where you're thinking about the viewer while you're creating it. Right. And that's, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's sort of, it's, it's finishing, you know, yeah. like you can, you can make stuff, you can create stuff out of mm -hmm. nothing, but there has to be sort of a finish to it. You know, you gotta, mm -hmm. you gotta, ground it in this reality at some point in the mm -hmm. process. Definitely. And I think that evolves throughout the process. Um, I think with most artists, it's part of the process. Yeah. It might not be the starting point, but at some point it's gotta be the finishing point. Right. Even to the point of where do I hang, where do I put the hanging hardware? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. peace isn't done until it can be hung on the wall, <laughs> That's you know, true. for sure. <laughs> so, or, or put on a pedestal or, or, you know, until it can land in the space. Yeah. It's really just conceptual. Mm. Yeah. That's true. I, I read a really interesting piece that, that talked a lot about <laughs> what we're talking about right now. Um, and it was an artist who said, I don't take any of that into account when I'm designing the piece, but it's because I think of my art as 80% done by the time I'm done with it. They're like, right. I give it to a curator and I see that curator as an artist in themselves. She's like, and so I would like to create something that you can then create with. Oh, that's wonderful. Space, yeah. Which <laughs> I, I thought was a fascinating perspective. She's like, there are artists who don't take it into account at all. And I would fault them for, for not taking that into account in their artistic process. She's like, but it's very much a part of mine, but left out for a reason. Sure. No, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Including the curator in the creative processes. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's really gracious of that <laughs> artist. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Um, but I mean, just, just the, I, I, as a curator, you know, when, when we get works in that don't have hanging hardware that don't have, I mean, they don't all have to be framed, but they do need to be finished, mm. you yeah. know? Um, yeah, that finish can be as rough or as refined as the artist's intent. Yeah. But it mm -hmm. needs to have a way to be presented. Mm -hmm. yep. And, you know, sometimes I step in and help them <laughs> with that because it's a necessary thing for me to do to be able to finish my um, creative process of curating a show. Yeah. Um, and with all the artists that I work with, I'm happy to help advise them in that. Um, Many of them just leave it over to me to uh, 
to figure out, but they're all very cooperative also. You know, I don't think anybody's trying to give me more work, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm happy to help them with the final presentation because that helps me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I do really like that, that the, the collaboration between the artist and the curator and giving yeah. them that, you know, freedom to, to present. Yeah. So you have to trust your curator. <laughs> Definitely. So. Definitely. Is there anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to? I know you included in your bio a little bit about stop motion animation. I don't know if we got into that enough or not. I know we talked a little bit about your social media. Yeah, I mean, we can, we can touch base with that briefly. I mean, it wasn't a huge totally part of to my you. life, but it, but it is something that I did um, start. I haven't, I've only recently started focusing on my Instagram, mm. you know, um, it's something I became aware of in the gallery. I had somebody else doing it for years and now I've taken over the, um, social media mm. with the gallery uh, okay. and finding it very difficult to balance that and curating my own social media accounts. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a lot of work and I very much appreciate all the work that he did <laughs> yes. so, uh, yeah. prior to leaving the gallery. Um, but during the, um, yeah, so when, when, I was, uh, when I was in film school, I played around with stop motion animation. Mm -hmm. uh, I did my senior uh, project, um, well, it was a little 60 second stop motion animation where I learned so much more than I expected or wanted to learn uh, the lights that we were using. It'd be so wonderful to do it now with like LED technology, oh, yeah. but the lights we were using were incandescents or halogens <laughs> and they were melting my puppets as we were working <laughs> and it was a mess, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, we worked it out and, and that's all part of, you know, going to school and, and, and studying is yeah. that, you know, you, you learn more from your mistakes than you learn from your successes. Yeah. Uh, so then a few years after that, um, there, there was a 48 hour film project that toured the country. It was in, came to Philadelphia every year. Yeah. And I put a team together of my peers and, um, we had the very ambitious, uh, goal of, um, uh, animating in 48 hours. Oh my goodness. And we did it um, <laughs> wow. with reasonable success. So I did all the math with how many frames per second and how yeah. many shots we had to get done per hour yeah. and when, when we needed to finish so we could get everything to editing and then to music and everything. And it was super ambitious. And I did all the math and it was going to take 56 hours to shoot our script. <laughs> It's like, oh well, well, how do we solve this? You know, and we had to solve it in the moment because the, the yeah. competition has started. There's a starting point and an ending point to yeah. the competition yeah. and it started. I was like, all right, well, um, we need two sets. We need to cut the shooting uh, time in half. Uh, okay. So we, we built two sets and we had two animators and two uh, oh photographers goodness. and two <laughs> crews. And we had like an onset, you know, doctor's office where they were like repairing our puppets as we were going. And, <laughs> and I just, we created two of everything, you know, and, yeah. and we got it all done. We ended up finishing the project early, like coming in like an hour That's early. Mm -hmm. And uh, we ended up winning best cinematography, I think because they didn't wow. know what else to give us. They were just like <laughs> impressed by the, the fact that we animated. Um, but, uh, so that was a really cool experience. Yeah. And then I hadn't really, I mean, I have a friend, uh, Carl Lushold, who's a fantastic artist. Um, he's a photographer primarily, but, um, he and I, collaborate on projects he lives out in denver but whenever he's on the east coast um we collaborate on something usually light painting which is another continuous line medium um 
but he and I have played with stop motion and I build puppets and we shoot little things. Most of them don't go anywhere. They're just little like screen tests and all, but it's fun. But during the, um, during the pandemic, we were asked by the downtown business association to, um, during the lockdown to create a thank you video for our patrons. And, um, again, Ward gets ambitious (laughs) and Ward decided to, to animate this like one minute video thanking our patrons and what I thought would take me a day or two ended up taking all week. I was doing like oh little paper cutout animation. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's it's fun. It's on the Bethlehem House Gallery, B House Gallery uh, Instagram page. You have to scroll back to like, I don't know, May or June. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And then that took me to um, the time lapse stuff that I've been playing with, with making, with, with showing how I make my art and um time lapse and stop motion very similar uh i had one one video that i did where i was uh i decorated a, a, a living room outside in my house you know <laughs> just like in the, in, awesome. the in the open space yeah. Yeah. so that was a lot of fun with whatever art i had my own art and uh khalil sculptures that i have in my own collection <laughs> and just did, i did it all <laughs> all by myself i oh loaded my stuff i had my furniture storage in the barn where i live and i loaded everything in the truck and drove it around <laughs> to the side yard and unloaded everything by myself <laughs> and the whole time the camera's rolling, you know, and it's just me like rolling stuff out. And then, uh, there was one part that I needed help. And my son, my 14 year old son, Caius had just finished his schoolwork. I go inside cause they were, you know, doing school from home virtually. Yeah. So I go inside as like, Caius, I need your help. He comes out, helps me. So this is one little frame that you see Caius come in and help me raise, you know, the pipes <laughs> that the artwork's hanging on. And the video was finished and I was really happy with it. And then I was like, now I have to put everything away. <laughs> like everything. I got to do all this. So, so I went back and I got Kaya. So I was like, I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour to help me put everything back in the barn. Yeah. And he was like, awesome. So yeah. That's awesome. It's like the definition of like getting into the creative process. You're like doing it, doing it. And they're like, ah, oh, damn it. I have to like put all of this away yeah. now. So much work. I have to clean Would have been better up. not to do anything. <laughs> I've That's had awesome. a series that I've been planning to do a photography series for a while now. And the, the biggest thing stopping me is access to a truck and the repeated setup and teardown of the set that I want to do in a bunch of different locations. And I'm like, oh, I need the time to do that. I- you need a support group. Yeah, seriously. If anyone out there has got a truck, well, what, spare what kind hours. of truck are we talking? Are we talking a box truck or? Um, no, just just something big enough to put an old teacher's desk in. I, I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> So no, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's the, the creative energy behind an idea is inspiring and, uh, and it, and, and it's motivating, but then that, that wrap, that (laughs) wrapping it up, that breaking it down is like, uh, uh, it's all worth it. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, usually we would wait until after the guest leaves to do our art opportunity for the week, but with the reception of the glass show coming up soon, I would love to use that as the opportunity for our listeners. Okay, fantastic. Um, the glass show runs until June 12th, and we will have a closing reception from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. on June 12th. Um, 
we are still asking people to wear masks in, in our crowds, but we have expanded our, um, uh, our capacity. Mm. Uh, we've been working on limited capacity for several months now, but we've had some success with hosting events safely and responsibly. So we're going to continue to do that and um, hope everybody can come out and get some last looks at this glass show, which I'm extremely happy with, proud of all the artists that are involved in. In this, and then uh, after that, we'll be opening our summer show on June twenty fifth. Uh, so look, look for uh, follow our social media at uh, B House Gallery, and uh, follow my social media at Ward Van Hout. It's very, very easy. Check that out. I'll be doing some teasers for the summer show, and um, you know, just uh, you know, give us likes and follows. You know, it helps us. Definitely. Absolutely. So if you're looking for more details on the uh, closing reception or anything on Bethlehem House Gallery, you can go to www.bethlehemhousegallery.com. And then on Instagram, it's at Gallery. And then if you want to look at Ward stuff, it's at Ward Van Hout, H-A-U-T-E. Uh, yep, that's right. Very awesome. good. Well, Ward, thank you so much for coming thank on the show you. today. It's really been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for coming here. Yeah, yeah. thank you for thank having you for us in your us. space. This is really fun. This is our our first live from somewhere episode. So very exciting for us too. <laughs> awesome. I look forward to hearing the episode. And thank you both for, for what you're doing. It's really great spreading the word about what's going on in this really, really active and invigorating artist community. So thank you guys for what you're doing. Oh, you. And uh, I very much enjoyed the episodes I've listened to and I look forward to awesome. catching up on some of the ones <laughs> that I've missed and eventually listening to this one when it comes out. So yeah, um, I'm not shy about listening to my voice. So. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this has been delightful. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're very welcome. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in today. As always, this is the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. And today we're recording here at the Bethlehem House Gallery. Have a great week. We'll see you next one. See you next week. Bye. Bye.